0: Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter, underscore NJ Watson. And today we're finally catching up with our very first Paper Team mentee, Paul <laughs> Chang, who recently got staffed on the Disney animated show, The Curse of Molly McGee, to not only hear about what he's been up to, but to get his perspective on his first few days in the writer's room and how he has been navigating the job. Welcome, Paul.
1: Hey, guys. How's it going? Yeah,
0: good to have you back again.
1: Yeah, thanks. Good to be here.
0: All right, let's get to it.
2: So we haven't spoken since our Patreon update and our PT 138 June episode about the outline for Mid-Death Crisis as you were headed towards the draft. Now, obviously, a lot has happened since then in your life. Would you mind sharing what's been going on and why you abandoned us? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, uh, so last time, so yeah, a lot has happened. I got married. <laughs> and then Congratulations. Know, so yeah, I got this, um, got this new job, which is super exciting, pretty, being an amazing experience. On the first episode that we ever did together, I think that was when I came in and like pitched Mid-Death Crisis. That was the first day that I'd started the Kate mentorship, Mm. which was a sort of going on simultaneously with the paper team um, mentorship. And when that finished, they sent out the script that I had rewritten throughout that program to a bunch of different places. And then one of them was Disney TV animation. And that was how I got that initial meeting.
0: So on that note, can you tell us about how sort of the staffing opportunity came about? And also you got managers. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I did get managers as well. So the staffing opportunity came about because yeah, like I said, Cape had sent our scripts out at the end of the program to a bunch of different places. So I think they sent it to some some reps, people in development. I, I didn't get visibility into all the places they sent it. But I think one of the places that they sent it was, you know, Disney TV animation. And so someone from development there uh, reached out and that was how I got that initial staffing meeting. And then on the manager that did not come through Cape that came through cause I won the top comedy in the tracking board launchpad competition. And through that, they introduced us to my managers. And so, uh, you know, we, we kind of went back and forth and I sent them some other material to read and, Ended up meeting with them and it, and it seemed like a good fit. And so I decided to uh, to go with them.
2: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I mean, obviously, you've been writing for a long time now, but it felt like just recently all of these things kind of came together and reached like a, a critical mass, right? Like you've spoken mm-hmm. about that before and like how, you know, what does it take to kind of tip the scales from being an aspiring writer to now being a working writer?
1: That's interesting. It, it did all really like come together really quickly for me because, you know, when we first started talking, that was like, what, November last year? And then since then... Um, yeah, a lot, a lot has happened. I feel like for me, the things that stand out in, in terms of like what was helpful for my journey were, I think, firstly, having a few different scripts. I have one feature, two pilots, and I feel like all of them have done something for me. So my feature got me my manager. One of my pilots got me into the Cape thing, which you know ultimately got me staffed. And then I have another pilot that. Hasn't really done anything yet, but, you know, it did get me to, like, the finals of another fellowship. And, you know, it's it seemed kind of, like, close. And I feel like having a few samples was really key because it allowed me to keep taking lots of shots at, like, various fellowships and competitions and stuff. Going off of that, I think the other thing, in addition to having a few scripts, was taking a lot of shots at different opportunities. Because, like, every single one of those scripts that did something for me those exact same scripts failed in a bunch of different contexts. So for example, the script that got me into the Cape Fellowship, people in various competitions didn't respond to it, or I was rejected from other fellowships. And same like the feature script, you know, I won that tracking board competition, but didn't win or even place in a bunch of other different competitions. So I feel like those two things, like having a bunch of scripts and taking a lot of shots, like was really helpful because eventually (laughs) something happened. So yeah, those are the things that I've kind of noticed.
0: Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point about sort of the importance of momentum and and using those wins, however small, to then leverage the next win. I I know it sounds very uh, cold when I say it that way, but the reality is that in this business, you got to use those little wins and victories that you get to then get to the next level. And I think in a vacuum, winning a specific contest isn't like a make or break moment, but in the context of sort of the totality of everything you've accomplished in those uh, six months or however long that was, I think that really pushes you to the next level and tips the scale, as you said. Yeah,
2: I think in the industry, a lot of people are looking for someone who has been vouched for in some way, whether that's winning a competition or whether that's having reps or, you know, just being recommended by a friend and saying, hey, this guy's script is really good or whatever it happens to be. And then the more people you have vouching for you and the more, you know, like you said, things you can point to on your resume and your achievements, I think the more likely you're going to be taken seriously and, and people will be willing to take more of a risk on you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I also think what you brought up, Paul, in terms of having those scripts ready for those different competitions is critical because a lot of this industry is based on timing and uh, meeting the right person at the right place at the right time. But when that happens, you got to be ready with the right script and be prepared enough, whether it's in your career or your craft. I think it's amazing that you were there in in that moment and you were ready. Like It wasn't as if you were like sitting on your hands doing nothing and waiting for someone to come knocking at your door. You were obviously hustling and you were working on your craft and then you were applying to all those different competitions. And it wasn't about winning one thing. It was sort of about this collective win and and collective journey of that momentum, essentially.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that the, the I totally agree with that. Like, it's many things coming together. It's not just one thing. Like, you know, my managers, you know, if I didn't have those two other scripts that I could send them, and if I hadn't won the Cape Fellowship, it might have been a different story that might have said, uh, and I've had this before, you know, I had this where I've had managers like read my stuff and be like, hey, this is good, but send us your next thing, right? I think that's really common. But being able right off the bat to say like, hey, here's two other scripts. And by the way, like, uh, you know, I had this other thing going on. They all kind of like feed into each other. There's this like sense that there's things that are kind of vouching for you. That was super helpful.
0: And uh, going to the the managers aspect, I'm sure our listeners would love to learn more about that process of not just in terms of uh, how you, you found them and then sort of going over them, but how did you approach the meetings with managers and deciding exactly, oh, this one is right for me, or this one is really engaging in my material? How did you approach that whole uh, dance?
1: Yeah, it was interesting. You know, first of all, I got a lot of advice from people. And, and that's another thing that I think has been really helpful for me um, is just like, you know, meeting lots of people and talking to friends who are further along in the process, more experienced, and sort of getting their perspective of like, you know, what do you look for in a manager? What are some common pitfalls, that sort of thing? But yeah, in terms of like making the t- decision of, you know, whether or not to sign with a manager, for me, the biggest thing that I heard this again and again was like, who is the most excited about you? Who's the most passionate? I-, I spoke to some people who said, yeah, better to go with someone small and has a lot of time for you rather than necessarily going for like the brand name which I think is a, a pitfall that people can fall into so that was something that I had in mind you know who's the most excited who feels like they're going to have time to help me develop and and spend time with my career and then yeah I you know another thing that I was weighing was like what have they done in the past who are their other clients and what's their kind of game plan for what I might do next.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to, to that point of uh, getting excited by your material. How do you gauge that excitement? Because obviously a lot of people, especially when it comes to representation, uh, they can uh, portray an image of, oh, I'm really excited. I love that script because X, Y and Z. How do you sort of
1: navigate those
0: waters and gauge whether they truly engage with that material?
1: Part of it was being in the room, right? Like or, or like, you know, being on the phone with them or being in the room. It's a so part of it is just like a personal chemistry thing. Like, how are you guys are you vibing together? Is there a sense of chemistry there? And then, yeah, I think the other thing was I reached out, I had some mutual friends and I actually knew someone who was repped by them and I could sort of seek their advice as well. And they're like, Hey, how's it been, you know, being with these managers and they, they absolutely love them. Um, they came really highly recommended. In fact, like I knew about the managers like from before, cause my friend had been speaking highly of them and I knew that they had um, helped get him work. And so having that personal connection to someone who had direct experience with them from before was super helpful and gave me a level of comfort that like they were good. Uh, it seemed like a good fit. It's really good
2: advice. And I think I agree with what you're saying in terms of managers you don't want a meeting with a manager to feel like they are doing like a job interview with you and like you're trying to impress them and they're kind of like looking at their watch and be like, "Eh, maybe I'll rep you, maybe I won't. You really want those people who come in passionate and already excited about your ideas and where they can take them and what they can do with you and all of that sort of thing, which I think is, you know, something that writers who are at a level where they're like, oh, I just need my first rep and I need this access into the industry. I think sometimes people are willing to just kind of jump at the first chance to get a manager and say, I have a manager and they think that's going to be the be all and end all for them when really you don't want
0: someone unless they really want you. I think that's a common pitfall, uh, this idea of just signing with the first person who says yes to you because you've heard so many no's. It's sort of like that drop of water in the, in the, in the, <laughs> the desert. But uh, like you said, I mean, true excitement to me is always gauged by how they engage with the material and how they connect with me as a person and the kinds of stories they tell. Also, part of it is obviously being compatible in terms of taste. Uh, if they've seen the shows I reference, uh, if they know the people I want to meet. But part of it is also just on a craft level, sort of engaging do they mention certain characters or certain themes that uh, I wrote about in my script? Do they pitch ideas for future episodes? Not that, uh, you know, we're necessarily going to develop that project, but at least they're engaged creatively. If we're talking at least on managers with that project, I think that's, that's the true excitement is they want to riff with you and not just sort of uh, pitching basic ideas of industry content.
2: So when you had the staffing opportunity, you were given sort of like a freelance episode as a trial, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that worked?
1: Yeah, sure. So it actually wasn't a freelance episode. It was like a freelance assignment. So it started off with me after the the staffing meeting, going in and pitching some ideas, for episodes, and then um, basically writing an outline as well as a a really short demo script. So it wasn't like a full script of the show, Um, but it was, I think it was a combination of things. And yeah, that was a really interesting experience. Sort of gave me a head start thinking through what are the themes of the show? What are some interesting stories? How can I best exploit this concept? I think it helped demonstrate to them that I was able to write for animation. Because I think one of the reasons why they did it that way, as opposed to staffing me straight up, is because, you know, my sample is a half hour adult comedy. You know, so it's not necessarily something that would be shown on Disney animation. So that was kind of interesting as well. Like uh, what they said to me was like, Hey, like, we like your voice, but, and, and they, they didn't really go into the rationale of like why I was getting this freelance. But what I'm guessing is they might've just wanted to test like, you know, is this person able to write in the voice of, uh, of a kid's show?
0: And how did you approach that pitching process? Uh, did you have any experience in that department outside of the, the pitch episode that we did in the first mentorship? Instead of that, did you have any sort of experience pitching episodes idea and generating that material on uh, that high level?
1: I would say the way I approached it was I knew I wanted to go in with like four or five ideas. And so, you know, I just start off by saying, okay, let me come up with like 15 ideas. That's something that I do try and do not, not just with like pitching ideas, but just like with everything, you know, like if I come up with against a problem in a script, I might try and come up with five or six ideas of how to solve it and then pick the best one as opposed to just going with the first thing that comes to mind. And then in terms of whether I pitch before or not really, like obviously I pitched with you guys when I'm trying to choose what, what to work on next, I'll like pitch my writer's group maybe on a few ideas. I've done that before, um, but certainly nothing like pitching in, in a professional context like this. This was mm-hmm. the first time.
2: Yeah. And tell us about that first staffing meeting. What did you do to prepare before it and how did you kind of conduct yourself, you know, while you were there? What, what, what were you trying <laughs> yeah. to yeah. You-
1: yeah, totally. I mean, so that was one of the things that Cape was really really great for and I think a lot of these fellowships focus on this, which is like how how do you like take these meetings? How, what what do you do when you get in the room and it's a general or it's a staffing meeting? I think it was a pretty standard meeting in that, you know, it was firstly just like you know, there's the small talk element, you know, like, are you able to just be in the same room with these people? And like, you know, are you, do you have a similar sense of humor and can you just like vibe with them generally? Um, and then there was always the, tell us about yourself thing. And so, yeah, one of the things that I got out of Cape was working on that personal story. Like how does my background tie to the kind of things that I write, you know, getting a little bit of my sense of humor out there in that, you know, first interaction, uh, that sort of thing. And then, yeah, like uh, the other part of it was, you know, they were sharing a little bit about what the show was and, clarifying any questions that I might have just so that it was, clear from my perspective, what what show we were even
0: uh, talking about. To your point, I think branding is such a key element when you're in those meetings. And this is something that we've talked uh, at length on paper team multiple times, this idea of defining who you are as a person and tying it to the kind of writing that you do, because ultimately these people that you're meeting with, they're going to have to sell you to other people and they need a reason for why. And they need to understand emotionally almost why you are the right person for this project. And it's not just because your writing is good, because I'm sure in this Time, many people's writing is good, but it's more about who you are as a person and, and what you can bring to that writer's room.
2: Right. Like let's say you're meeting with an executive at the network and they want to pitch you to a showrunner for a show. They've got to turn around and be able to sum you up and give you this kind of like log line for the writer. And if it's just like, yeah, I met this guy. He's 21. He graduated from UCLA and uh, he, he writes scripts you know, like <laughs> that's not going to be <laughs> right. that interesting. Whereas if you have something fun and unique and, you know, why is this person interesting and, and right for the show, then it's so much easier uh, for you to get passed along like that.
1: Well, yeah, I was just going to say that, yeah, there were certainly things in my personal story, in my background that I, you know, purposely chose to accentuate. And I think that they found interesting, you know, for example, the fact that I grew up overseas and things like that. And that was really interesting to them. And then the other thing in terms of the way I prepared was, yeah, just like did research on them. You know, I knew who I was meeting with. And so I was able to look them up on IMDb Pro and see, you know, like what other what stuff that they worked on? What's their sensibility um, have they done any interviews, um, you know, sort of just getting a sense of who I might be talking to before I got in the room. And that was really helpful, too, because it it helped me figure out what things they might be interested in that I'm also interested in. Um, so there's two show creators. They were the showrunners of Lego Star Wars. And I love Star Wars and I love Lego Star Wars. And so that was immediately something we could kind of talk about. I, to- you know, I was talking about how when I was nine, my Gungan Lego sub was like pride and joy, you know, and so, and so just stuff like that. Not not in like an artificial way, it's more just like, hey, like I really enjoyed your show. You know, I can, it was just one thing that yeah. could like yeah. kick out the conversation. Yeah, and,
0: and it shows uh, an element of proactive research that you've done and actually connect with that person in an emotional, personal level. I'm curious just to go back on the branding aspect of the story. How did you figure out the elements of your backstory to connect with and, and to bring up in those meetings? How did you hone down, oh, these are the stories I should be telling? I'm sure some of it it was through obviously the Cape mentorship, but I'm curious, so your thoughts on what matters versus what doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, for sure. So the starting point for me is like, what makes me, what what are some things that I could point to that like other people might not have, you know, cause I think anything and it doesn't have to be anything crazy, but those are the things that are going to make, make me stand out. Right. So in my case uh, you know, I've, I grew up, I was born in Australia and I grew up moving around a lot in Asia. And so that's kind of like the starting point. And then the other thing was, I think people always want to hear how you got into writing. I feel like people are always asking that. And especially if you come from a background that wasn't writing. So for me, you know, like I didn't I didn't go to film school. I was in the business world, right? Like I was this corporate consultant. It was like really far away. And so like, what was that arc that got me to where I am now? So I talk about how when I first came to the US, like someone took me to an improv comedy show and I was like what is this? This is the most American thing I've ever seen, but I was really intrigued by it. And so I auditioned, ended up getting into the group. So that was my way into writing. And so I kept writing while I was on the road as this consultant, you know, like writing down stories in my hotel room and like doing live comedy on the weekends and then eventually realizing, you know, this is what I wanted to do. And so sort of telling a clear story that's easy to follow and sums up like what you write, what kind of, what was your way in, that sort of thing. Someone put it in a way that I thought was really helpful, which is that like when you're telling your personal story um, in response to that, tell me about yourself question, the way they put it was your story has subtext, right? Like, and in that, when you're telling them about yourself, the subtext should be like, oh, I'm able to tell a story like with the beginning, middle and end. If you're a comedy writer, you you know, you can inject some humor into it and then also like, Hey, I'm just like fun to be around. Right. And so consciously thinking about like, how is the story that I'm telling now about myself, like subtextually conveying those things.
2: Right. And you're communicating to them that you have different skills and areas of expertise that you're drawing on from life or, or unique experiences in your life that you can draw upon as a writer. It's not just the generic background, you know, in, in telling the story, you are communicating your positive traits and the yeah. things that are unique about you.
0: It's almost like uh, having the own character arc in that meeting of, okay, right. the beginning a pre writer's journey, and then how the, the inciting incident. That right. got yeah. The yeah totally. the-
1: I think it's, I think having it structured as like, yeah, like a two minute little mini journey is really helpful because it can, just like suck the person in and you don't just like suddenly realize that you've been rambling for 15 minutes. You know? Right. And
2: at the same time, you probably don't want it to feel overly rehearsed. Like oh, you're yeah. reading them a monologue or something <laughs> yeah, like that, because sure. they're <laughs> going to interject and they're going to want to know more yeah. about this part of it or that part of it. So you have to be able to kind of like jump around and, and you know, have these things in smaller units instead of just like <laughs> when I was a little boy,
0: I'm just imagining someone bringing their like biography and then just like li- reading <laughs> chapter the book, uh, eight. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to the staffing process, why do you think they ultimately picked you? What do you feel you bring to the room as a writer?
1: <laughs> wow. Um, well, I, I'm still, you know, this is, I'm, I'm three weeks in, and I'm part of me is still waiting for like the SWAT team to kick down the door and like drag me. <laughs> we made a huge mistake, um, but yeah, I think so. One thing I remember that they said they liked about my sample was that it had a good amount of heart to it. I think the show that were that you know that we're writing. Um, that's a really important aspect of it. One of the, the main characters is um, really gregarious, larger than life person who, who really wants to make an impact. And I think they saw that in my script. And then yeah, I think uh, the other part of it was, you know, just gelling with them in the room, you know, I do f- think that like making a good impression and them getting that comfort level of like, oh, yeah, we can like hang out with this person for like, eight hours a day, you know, like I think that was a huge part of it as well. And then, yeah, in terms of like what made me feel like I was ready, I guess, to be staffed. Um, I, I, I like to think of it in two ways. So the first is, I, I guess, cause like, I've been asking myself this question for the past, like six months of like, you know, am I, am I ready? Am I ready to do this? Like, I remember I was even worried about, cause you know, there's all that stuff happening on Twitter of the WGA staffing boost and stuff. And I remember asking myself like, Oh, am I ready to like put myself out there? Like I didn't want to send out my stuff if it wasn't ready and like make a bad impression. So that's something that I've been wondering about as well. And the way I've come to think about it, which has been helpful for me is that I think about it from two angles. So the first is like, do I feel ready? You know, do I feel like I can go in there and pitch ideas and, and, um, you know, write up outlines, turn around drafts under deadline and pretty quickly. Um, Do I feel comfortable giving and receiving notes? Um, That sort of thing. And then also, yeah, do I feel like I, you know, could navigate the sort of in the room aspect of it with the personal dynamics? And then the other thing was, and we kind of touched on this earlier, does it seem like other people feel like I'm ready, you know? And so that kind of goes back to, am I getting validation from like fellowships and contests and like working writers and assistants and sort that sort of thing. And I feel like in the past few months, I, w- I was getting enough sort of positive feedback from some of those like third party things that it was really helpful for me to sort of reality check my own uh, self perceptions. And I mean, yeah, mainly in the sense of like reminding me that, yeah, you're not kind of totally delusional. you know it, I think that's really helpful. And also, yeah, on the other side, like Letting me know when when a piece of material isn't ready to go out, um, so I feel like it was important for me to have that confidence in myself, but also get some of that uh, validation from other sources because sometimes it can it can be just like tough to know whether you're ready.
2: Hundred percent. So speaking of that, how do you deal with what I feel like a lot of people kind of run into as writers and creatives, this idea of imposter syndrome? Like you said, you're waiting for the SWAT team to kick down the door and drag you away and be like, oh, you weren't meant to actually be right. here. So like, how do you you know, balance that in yourself and, and stay productive and, and don't let it get the best of you?
1: Well, the first thing that was huge for me was realizing that like a lot of people suffer from imposter syndrome. So I certainly do, you know. <laughs> And yeah, I remember talking with a, a, a whole group of my writer friends and us, like someone, someone brought it up and then everyone kind of going around the team be like, oh my God, you, you have that too, you know? Cause some <laughs> of these people were um, way, certainly way more uh, accomplished than I was. They might have had like big time agents or might some, you know, one of my friends was even, uh, you know, writing stuff for, for, Netflix actively. And so for me realizing that like, oh, these people who in my mind were super accomplished, they're kind of like where I want to be, that they're still suffering from, Uh, The imposter syndrome, that was like a huge thing and helped me realize like, okay, it's a normal and pretty common thing to feel that way. And then the other thing was, yeah, like going back to that, having those sort of external, like evaluative markers, that was really helpful because, you know, I could point and say like, hey, look, I did pretty well in this contest. So that's like a objective or you know like it's a subjective thing but it's it's something that's like outside of me that I can point to as a sort of a self reminder that hey you're, you know you're doing something something right right and in addition to those wins, there's like tons of rejections right tons of times you know way more times that people weren't responding to my work and so I think being able to recognize when when something does hit and someone does respond to it, Is really important, and that that doesn't have to be like winning a competition or winning the fellowship necessarily. Sometimes it's just like um, like I have a bunch of friends who are uh, assistants, you know, and and them saying like, hey, like I really liked it, and sometimes they may pass it up to their boss. Like it could just be as simple as someone uh, giving you positive feedback who's in a position uh, where they like read a lot of scripts, like not. Giving into the tendency to gloss over the good stuff and just like focus in on that, you know, the rejections. Yeah, um, that's been really helpful for me. Yeah,
0: I definitely agree that it's it's super important to celebrate those wins, however small. Obviously, that doesn't mean uh, pop a bottle of champagne every time someone says good script. Yeah, but for sure. Uh, however small that win is, I think it's worth writing it down, maybe or listing it somewhere, and then at the end of a year, you'll realize all the positive elements that you are bringing to the table, whether it's because someone liked your script or because you got to job somewhere, which is obviously a huge win, or because you won or placed in some competition somewhere. So I definitely hear you in terms of the importance of celebrating those wins, especially in the face of uh, so much rejection.
2: Yeah. And this is a career where there are going to be a lot of ups and downs. It's, it's very rare that someone gets their first staff writer job and gets the reps and it's smooth sailing for the rest of their life. You know, everything's just up <laughs> right. from there. Like you're going to have years where you don't work and you're going to have times where you do get rejected from your dream job and, and all of that kind of thing. And then you're going to have times where everything's going great and, and, and you really got to kind of keep both those things in mind and not fall victim to those cognitive biases like confirmation bias where you're just looking at all of the negatives and the rejections and being like well I suck and you're downplaying all the positives like well I this is just my first job and like oh I don't even know if they're going to keep me around yet and all these kind of things when you know what you need to be doing like Alex said is celebrating those wins and and looking I guess I always find it helpful to kind of have some perspective on where you've come from instead of just looking at it from an, an overall bird's eye view of like, well, I'm not a showrunner. I don't have an overall deal. I'm not that successful. Looking at it from like where I was five years ago, you know, someone coming from another country, not even knowing how to get into LA, how to get into the industry. Now you are working writer and have all these things going on. You know, you got to really kind of realized that so many people would die just to have this level of success.
0: Oh, absolutely. And to that point, I think you, the only person you should compare yourself to is yourself or your past self. It's not really the other person that just landed uh, fresh off the boat, or it's not the person that just graduated USC, or it's not the person that you see on deadline that just scored this awesome $500 million overall deal at whatever place. These are not people you should be comparing yourself against. Uh, the only person that matters, it may sound self-centered, but it is true. It is yourself. And uh, as long as you're progressing compared to where you were five years ago that is the only metric that matters and that's the only goalpost that you should be comparing yourself against
1: yeah for sure and i I think on that like observing how just my writing has gotten better in terms of like being comfortable doing things that i wouldn't have been comfortable doing in the past you know so for example when i had this freelance i had to turn it around pretty quickly you know the whole just from pitching ideas to going to outline And, yeah, just recognizing that, hey, you know, this is something that I wouldn't necessarily have been able to do. Observing your own improvement on the page, I think, is uh, has been helpful for me as well.
0: So looking into the artist room, can you walk us through those first few days in that room? How was it? Were there any politics involved? And especially, do you have any advice for our listeners in terms of navigating that first week in the artist room?
1: Yeah, so for me, it's I've just had such an incredible experience. Everyone is so nice, um, super supportive. Um, the showrunners and the show creators are, are incredibly nice guys. And so, I mean, it's it's been pretty smooth sailing. I don't feel like I was kind of plunged into this like battlefield or anything like that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a smaller room as well. It's not like 15 people. It's, it's on the smaller side. Um, and so everyone there is, you know, not only able to contribute, um, but, you know, is, is expected to and, and actively encouraged to. So that's been really great. It's been an overall, like, really welcoming experience. I, I, You know, I've spoken to other other people, and I know that, um, you know, there, there's a wide range of staff experiences. Sometimes it's not quite that easy. Uh, sometimes, like, there are way more people in the room, and so as a staff writer, you're expected to just, like, be a fly on the wall for the first few weeks and literally, like, not even say anything sometimes, but that hasn't been um, my experience with this show. It's been, Not difficult to contribute, but at the same time, like not high pressure. Didn't feel like, you know, oh God, I have to like say something right now or else like I'll I'll look bad. It, It feels pretty safe, you know, like in terms of us being able to throw out ideas and, you know, if something doesn't land, that's, that's fine. Just, you know, move on.
2: And what were some of your expectations and preconceptions going in versus what the reality was?
1: Yeah. So I think my, my expectations were that it would be a little more stressful than it actually has been. I, I was aware that, you know, there's definitely a spectrum of how like the room can be, you know, some rooms can be a little more politically fraught and, and and um the vibe can be kind of different. I know that in the comedy world, I've heard of rooms sometimes being like pretty competitive of like who can be the funniest, who can who can speak the most. And, and also, yeah, just in terms of like being able to talk, like I was going in with a mindset of like, okay, um, for the first little bit, might just want to like hang back and get a read on the politics and what are the undercurrents here who's saying what um but actually it hasn't really been like that i've been able to just kind of uh jump in and i think that's because yeah the the show creators and also the the story editor have been really nice in in sort of like welcoming the the new writers in
0: and to that idea do you have any tips or advice for our listeners in terms of those first few days how to approach being a new staff writer in that first writer's room
1: (laughs) I think, yeah, the first thing would be to just kind of read read the room. Um, so in my case, like the room has been super nice and, and the vibe is very sort of relaxed. And and so I felt comfortable kind of waiting in immediately. But if it had not been, if, if the dynamic had been a little bit different, I might have reacted differently. So I think that's like a piece of advice that I've heard a few times is, you know, like get in there, read the room, try and understand what the dynamics are and then, you know, be flexible.
2: Yeah, I guess if you would come in with this kind of very preconceived notion of I shouldn't speak for my first week in the room or whatever, and it was this small room and I was expecting you to chip in and you're just sitting there silently, that probably would have gone really badly for you. On the other hand, you know, like you said, so it's about being flexible. Yeah, it's
0: interesting because I feel like a lot of that advice often comes from more established writers who did start in rooms that were maybe uh, with over 10 plus 15 writers in that room. And so there's definitely uh, those politics at play. But now where we're moving towards an era where so many shows have uh, fewer than six riders per room. I feel like it's a different game where if you were lucky enough to be there, they picked you because they want your mind and they want your pitches in the room, not just because you need to be a fly on the wall. So it's definitely a pick and play and choose depending on whether it's like a network thing or a cable thing or the politics of the room. Right. I feel like I had a similar
2: experience to Paul in terms of it was a small room. Everyone was expected to pitch in. Obviously, there were still moments where you wanted to like hang back and let the showrunner speak and not just be like talking all the time. But, um, yeah, I feel like it seems that more and more people I talk to these days, especially with smaller rooms, it is less of that the staff writer just shuts up and and more of a, everybody is uh, welcome to contribute. Yeah,
0: which brings another uh, sort of a fraught question uh, in that capacity, where you are expected to pitch and uh, and be present in the room. How do you gauge whether or not you know you've done your due uh, every day of uh, that week? <laughs>
1: Wow, that's a great question. I'm still very much figuring that out because, you know, obviously I'm still very new to it. You know, one piece of advice that I, that I've heard that, that has been helpful for me is to not get too in my head. So for example, if I pitch something and and it doesn't seem to catch, you know, let's say I pitch, pitch out a joke or, or see an idea and you know, the response is like, Hmm, okay, that's cool. And then we just kind of like move on to, to not get into a zone where I'm like, Oh God, like I just, I told you I've blown it, um, uh, you know, to just kind of like let it go and just like follow the flow of the conversation and where it's going and, and, and look out for the next opportunity where I might be able to add while also at the same time, not talking just for the sake of talking. I, you know, I saw some advice about like not trying to sort of keep score, you know, like, oh yeah, great. Like I have X amount of things on the board or conversely like, oh yeah, I like bombed X times today uh, because yeah, I feel like you, you could get in your head and, and get sort of like anxious that way. I think, yeah, just trying to approach it of like, you know, do my best and knowing from the outset that sometimes it'll land and sometimes it won't, um, that's been helpful for me in these opening few days. I will say that, that, that doing a little bit of prep outside of the room was helpful as well. So, you know, I, I just brought in a list of like story ideas that I'd thought of beforehand and and wrote them down. And it was the same approach. You know, I, I came in with like 40 ideas knowing that like, okay, maybe a few of these will be interesting. And so having done that prep outside of the room was, was uh, you know, was helpful as well, because it meant that I wasn't like frantically trying to just come up with stuff on the spot i could sort of come in and and just like know that i had some things that that uh, i could say if appropriate
0: yeah, and to be clear for our listeners, uh, you're not coming into the room and then just reading every single pitch no, in the no, morning. No. You're organically pitching them throughout the day as a, as a member of the room, not just uh, yeah, to cross things off sure. List. I mean,
1: well, so the, the context of that was like, actually, the, the, we just had a session which was like, hey, let's just like brainstorm story ideas. And so that was the context in which I was able to like bring those out. But if like there, there hadn't been that session, I for sure wouldn't have like tried to insert them and break the flow of the room. You know, I, I had that list with me. And and um it just so happened they were like, Hey, like let's do this exact exercise that I had done at home. And so I was able to sort of bust it out, you know. But if their showrunners weren't like, hey, let's like brainstorm stories ideas right now, let's like let's say we were like breaking an episode or something totally different, uh, that would have just like stayed in the background. Right, yeah. I would would not have like forced that in there. Right. Yeah. In
2: relation to what you said earlier about not like holding on to, you know, a pitch that doesn't quite take, uh, I think I read a tweet from someone on Twitter that was like, you know, when the showrunner is driving home at night, they're not sitting there thinking, man, that staff writer, you know, that one pitch that staff writer had really didn't go down well. Uh, They're not like obsessing over that. They're like thinking about like, Oh, I've got it. I've got the storyboards just came in for the next episode. And I got to do, or I got to go home to my wife, you know, whatever immediately. happens. It's not what's uh, consuming their thoughts. So it shouldn't consume yours either.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, at the same time, you know, for sure there were moments in the last couple of weeks where I was like, Oh God, like I, I totally just screwed up. But yeah, I think, I think I might have seen the same too. I don't know if we're just thinking the same one, but at least ha- having seen like an upper level writer give that advice from his vantage point of like, yeah, like I'm not keeping score of like- yeah. What, what's going on with the staff writers in, in, in that sense.
0: Yeah, and I feel like, especially on TV, I feel like a lot of writers are so uh, introverted, generally speaking, that uh, it feels like a win needs to be, oh, it's got to be in a script, otherwise it's not a win. But the writer's room is a different set of skills. It's uh, pitching in the room, it's being sociable, it's uh, being present there f- for the characters, for the showrunners, for the story. So a win in that context isn't about sort of putting something on the board. It's it's also just about being creatively involved and uh, being present as opposed to just leaning back and not pitching anything.
2: Yeah. And like, uh, I've just recently seen season two of final space come out that I wrote on. And it's interesting because there are a lot of episodes and things where it's like, I didn't Directly write that script, or maybe you know it wasn't the exact word-for-word version of the joke I pitched in the room. But there are like little scattered elements all throughout the entire series of ideas that we discussed in the room, or things I pitched or contributed to that changed and evolved and morphed. So you can kind of like see your contributions throughout the entire series, whether you can say that like this joke made it in word for word or not. So you know you're contributing in different ways. A
0: hundred percent. And even if your idea leads to a completely different discussion that then leads to a B story being broken, then that's a win because. You You brought something to the table that drove the story forward and the room forward. It wasn't a completely different thing that you pitched, and then, oh, you stopped the room in the tracks. It's actually something that led to a different conversation that led to that win. And
2: sometimes it was one of those bad pitches that didn't quite work out (laughs) that, that sparks another idea in somebody else that leads to something useful.
1: Totally. I mean, that, and that's been one of the interesting things for me as, as a brand new writer in this, the writer's room is, yeah, just like breaking story collaboratively. Because, you know, before this, it was just me sitting, you know, at home alone or, or at, at the coffee shop. And, and that's, you know, apart from like, going into my writer's group and getting feedback on it, haven't really had that experience of like breaking a uh, story with a whole bunch of people. And so yeah, this this idea of like, even though you may or may not get that, written by credit at the end like everything kind of has everyone's fingerprints on it anyway um at least that's my sense um a few weeks in
2: Mm -hmm. have you approached it any differently writing for animation as opposed to live action you kind of touched on this earlier with your samples and stuff
1: not really it, it, for me it's it's just more about like understanding what's the voice of the show what's the voice of the characters what are the themes here and slipping into that which i think is you know i think it's a very similar skill set from just like specking an episode right that's that's essentially like what's what's happening although like there's there is an element of invention i mean i think one of the things that's really exciting is i'm on the first season of this show so i'm having a say in like what the show actually like ends up being which is super exciting um, because some of those questions are, are not answered yet like fit you know Um, And and we're all kind of figuring it out together in terms of like whether I have noticed any big differences between writing for animation and and live action. Uh, Not really. Like maybe once we get into like collaborating with the artists, some some differences might pop out to me. But so far, it's been pretty much the same. We're still thinking about like. Mm you know, how do we keep each scene engaging? What's the flow of it? So mm-hmm. it seems pretty similar.
0: Now, this may be a little bit of a conceited question, but since we've got you here, we'd love to hear what you've learned from listening to Paper Team all this time, and especially the mentorship process. Has that uh, helped you improve as a writer or your craft or uh, what have you learned through that process?
1: Oh, yeah, tons of stuff for sure. I mean, I think throughout the whole thing from just improving my writing skills uh, to a lot of the stuff that's more like in the room or the business side. And, and my, like, it's tough for me to think of specific episodes, but I, well, actually, no, I can think of like specific episodes about, I think you had an episode on like taking meetings. And and I remember you guys talked about personal branding and stuff like that. Uh, and certainly, like a lot of the, the craft episodes, um, like you had your episodes about like writing your pilot. And certainly, yeah, like Paper Team has been really helpful. And it was interesting for me, like, As I was going through this process, like reflecting back and I could see how different episodes that I'd listened to, like over the past couple of years, like had tied back to my experience. So that was, that was really cool and pretty interesting. Like, yeah. I mean, we were talking about managers earlier. Like, I think you guys had an episode about uh, your reps and like what you you should, you should be looking for. Um, So yeah, pretty much at like (laughs) every stage of the process, like, yeah, you guys were there in the background whispering in in my ear
2: (laughs) that's a good point though like i think there's a lot of stuff that you might listen to when you're at a certain level as a writer and then you go and you have some more experience in the industry and you work some jobs and whatever and you come back to it or you remember and you're like oh yeah that was a thing that was discussed and you kind of understand it on a different level
1: now well it's been kind of interesting because like i remember like hearing certain things on the podcast, like on this podcast and other, other resources as well, that like seemed kind of mysterious at the time. Like I remember being in a position where was like, how do you even get a general? Like, what does that mean? And now being in a position where like, yeah, like I am, I have had a couple meetings, like seeing how that like materializes into real life is, has been kind of interesting. It is still like certain aspects of it still are kind of mysterious to me, but yeah, it has been interesting to to sort of go through that evolution you know, while listening to the podcast.
2: So what advice would you have for other writers who are in the position that you were before you got staffed? You know, what do you think they need to do to make it over that line?
1: For sure, keep writing, you know, write lots of scripts. Don't just have one script. Make sure that those scripts are are good. Like, I think it's better to have one really, really good script than, you know, five okay scripts, right? And so for that, having a writer's group, um, I've actually had like two writer's group. Right now I'm just in one, but I've had like two um, different writers groups from my time in LA and that's been so helpful. You guys talked about feedback and writers groups on the podcast before as well, but that's been invaluable for me to to improve as a writer. So that'd be be one thing. The other thing and I, and we kind of touched on this before is like take a lot of shots, you know. So I think that fellowships and contests are great for new writers who don't necessarily have a big network, but You know, meeting people and networking is so 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 important as well. And you know, networking makes it seem like it's this transactional thing, but it's really not. You know, like I I feel like I have so many, you know, great friends here in the industry now. You know, fellow writers, but also people who are more on like the development assistant track, and that that's been so helpful because, firstly, they they they're a great source for feedback because they are in a position where they're able to like evaluate your material against like all the other stuff that they're seeing in their job. And so that's a really useful yardstick If an assistant, you know, wants to pass on your script that like means something because it means that, you know, they're not just going to do that as a favor, right? Because they, it, it, it would reflect badly on them if they passed on something that was actually, actually garbage. So yeah, like getting out there and, and meeting people that like mixers and, you know, I, I guess like living in LA, you just kind of meet people without even trying, you know, Like, <laughs> but yeah, that, I th- feel like those are some of the biggest things that have been, uh, helpful for me.
0: So what are your plans after the room ends? What do you want to do next? Uh, What do you see your career moving forward? Is it more TV, animation, live action, maybe branch into features?
1: Well, you know, of course, I'm really hoping that the show does really well. Um, I I mean, having such a great time um, in the room so far. So really excited to see what happens with the show, um, you know, when it does come out. Um, In terms of what I'd love to do in the future. I love writing both features in TV and over the course of my career, would love to work in both. And I've been having a total blast working in animation as well. But yeah, I would love to uh, write at, in live action at some point in the future. Most of the stuff that I've written before, this has been live action. But yeah, you know, I think the main thing is I'm really open to opportunities and I'm flexible. So I wouldn't say like I have one thing that I'm really gunning for. Although, yeah, like one day being able to run my own show would be amazing. But yeah, I think for the meantime, I'm kind of focused on, you know, doing my job well, really like soaking them up as much as I can as a a new writer. And yeah, like staying open to whatever might happen.
2: Well, we'll be doing some more catching up with Paul in the future every now and then on our Patreon, getting some updates on his experience as a staff writer. So on that note, don't forget to check out our Patreon. Subscribe if you enjoy what we're doing. You know, if you support us there at paperteam.co slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N, paperteam.co slash Patreon, you can get exclusive content, cheat sheets, more Paul, and uh, we can keep producing a great show for you every week. (laughs) So thanks to all of
0: our listeners for tuning in and thanks to
2: Paul for joining us.
1: Thank you, guys.
0: Thanks for being here. And uh, you can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 147. As always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson.
1: And I'm at Paul poise, that's poor poise with a (laughs) Paul. If you have
0: any thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes, you can always send them to ask at paperteam.co. And if you have any ideas or uh, favorite moments of the past 150 episodes, you can also send them to ask at paperteam.co so we can feature them in our 150th episode. That's three episodes away from now. Mm -hmm. And what are we doing next week? Uh, Next week, we're doing
2: an episode all about common mistakes to avoid in your TV scripts. What are the things that trip everyone up uh, that you can stop writing it's like a, a trip wire that you're gonna walk
0: <laughs> over <laughs> crickets all right <laughs> all right we'll see all you guys right. then we'll see you there